Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Wherever you are, this is the Interpreter's Workshop Podcast. I'm Tim Curry, your host. Here we talk everything sign language interpreting. The ins, the outs, the ups, the downs, the sideways of interpreting. If you're a student, a new interpreter, experienced interpreter, this is the place for you. If you want to know more, go to interpretersworkshop.com. Let's start talking interpreting. And now the quote of the day from the TV series Star Trek. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. I didn't need to say the entire quote because many of you can say it by heart. As interpreters, we do go boldly into places where others fear to tread into the lives of others. But what is this space, this universe, this expanse that we move into? It's created by us and those we serve. But let's find out more about that from Robert as we continue the chat after Roll Space into the new space. So now, let's boldly go. So we've talked about role space, but where is your focus in research today? Apparently I've gotten into space now. Space is my thing. Um, I, I've started looking at... Like NASA? No, but space is a metaphor. Um, oh, okay. My nephew actually works for NASA. Though, uh, so maybe that's part of the... Tell him, tell him I'm, I'm ready. Yeah, I've, I've gotten... I've, I've started to think kind of backward about um, getting away from interpreting... Um, specifically, and looking at space as a, as a good metaphor for language in general. So just as I said, I think we, we, we had this problem of the discourse of how we talked about role. Mm -hmm. I think we have a problem with how we talk about language. Yes. Um, and especially, I think, um, deaf people have been mostly impacted negatively by this. So, um, you know, the, the kind of the discourse around deaf education of, oh, does that student have English or have German or have ASL? Again, mm -hmm. sounds very familiar where it's as, as if language is an entity, just like we talked about, ha you know, having a role or not having a role or stepping in and out of role. So I've sort of moved the space <laughs> metaphor over to there to say, um, we don't have languages. Like we don't have, like, you know, we have kidneys, <laughs> you know, we have noses. <laughs> we don't have languages in the same way. Um, and I think one of the, uh, I don't know if people are familiar with the term translanguaging, um, which has become mm -hmm. uh, probably in the last decade or well, about 20 years, um, a much more interesting way of talking about multilingual environments. So translanguaging, it doesn't replace, but people used to talk about code switching or code mixing, mm -hmm. where people have access to multiple languages. Right. Um, translanguaging actually came out of um, bilingual schooling in Wales initially. Um, and they noticed that, you know, Children who who were in a bilingual program in in in, in Wales, where it was English and, and Welsh, um, even though people were technically bilingual at, at some level, mm -hmm. they did different things with language, and they 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 used different parts of different languages at different times. We used to talk about code switching and code mixing, which again, 
implies that there's something you're moving t- from or to or into. Mm-hmm. Where translanguaging yeah. says, no, 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 you know, all of us have a variety, and I, this is the terminology I really like, is we all have these strategies and repertoires in the various languages that we know, even if they're minimal. Mm-hmm. So for me, um, spoken English, ASL and BSL are my strongest languages. I can pretty much do a lot of stuff with them. I have a wide range of strategies and repertoires. Mm-hmm. I studied German in high school, um, and I spent uh, you know some time in Germany. My strategies and repertoires are much more limited, but I can get by fairly well. I can do a bunch of things in German. Mm-hmm. Um, my Spanish is somewhat more limited because I learned it in different contexts. Uh, my French is limited to food. <laughs> um, <laughs> so this idea of translanguaging, I think, is really helpful. And when I started thinking about that, I said, well, instead of talking about us having languaging languages, just like we don't have roles, what we do is we inhabit linguistic spaces. Mm-hmm. And our linguistic spaces can include multiple languages and multiple types of strategies and repertoires, some of which are richer, some of which are (laughs) more limited. Um, Right. So if you want to extend that metaphor, our job as interpreters is to help people bridge linguistic spaces that don't overlap, Mm -hmm. that we happen to overlap with. So my linguistic space includes American Sign Language and Spoken English. This person uses ASL. This person uses English. I'm the, I can bridge that space with them. Yeah. Um, We're the overlappers. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so we have this permeability of this, this, this linguistic space that we have. Um, you know, sometimes this has happened. I'm sure it's happened to you too, where, you know, a hearing person picks up on something and they, they, they recognize a sign Mm -hmm. or a deaf person catches something before we interpret it. Yes. Well, guess what? They, there's their linguistic spaces overlap. I don't have to interpret that necessarily. And guess what? That allows them to align more closely. Exactly. If I get the hell out of the way, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. they're allowed to have that moment because their spaces are overlapping. So I think that I'm, 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 I, I really like this idea of the metaphor of space for, for languages as much as I like it for interpreting. Um, yeah. Cause I think it's a lot more uh, explanatory and I think it, it reflects more about what we actually do. Um, mm-hmm. I like it. I like the overlapping. I don't know if it's because of my background, but I see it as a spherical yep. space yep. and and they are merging. Yep, exactly. That's how it is in my head. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah, I have this, you know, when I do PowerPoint, I have this kind of this aura <laughs> around us that mm-hmm. that contains all the strategies and repertoire. Yeah. So for example, um I learned a little bit of Dutch, but I knew more German than than Dutch. So when I've been in the Netherlands, I can I can use some of the strategies and repertoires I know in German to kind of bootstrap me a little bit with some Dutch. Uh-huh. Um, or I learned a couple of words in Czech um, and Polish that I can go, oh, I can do something with that very limited. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's all part of this bubble, <laughs> you know, right. of the linguistic yeah. space that, that I have. That's yeah. constantly pulsing. And that we add to. And that we add and to. add to. Yeah. 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 You know, so when we're learning you know, vocabulary, or we're learning new ways of talking about things in in our languages, Mm -hmm. we're just enriching the linguistic space that we have. Yeah. You can't separate the linguistic parts from the cultural parts. No, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Next, let's do the fun stuff now. Let's do some word association. Oh, okay. Should I lie on the couch? (laughs) (laughs) If that's your space, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you want just one word response, or what's the uh, what's the rule? So I will 
tell you a word or a small phrase, <laughs> and then you give me the first word that comes to mind or a concept or perhaps a story, mm -hmm. anything like that. Sure. So the first one, comfort food. Oh, risotto. Mm. Yeah, risotto. And do you make, make it yourself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's warm and it's it's soft, but you can you can have all sorts of textures in it, and it's yeah, yeah, and it's it's really fills yeah. up the space. Yeah, and it's it's process and product because yeah. the process itself is is specific, and then you magically end up with this product, and it's yeah, yeah, I love it. Kind of kind of sounds like interpreting. Well, yeah, it's it's all again. It's it's constantly process versus product. And I actually have a recipe that I do for that is I found in the New York Times years ago, where the question was asked, "Why are we boiling pasta? That's stupid." And so basically, the recipe is that you make a pasta dish like with penne or, or some, something like that, as if you were making risotto. So you saute all your stuff, and then you throw in dried pasta, which you go, "This is never going to work." And you mix it up. This is never going to work. And then you start <laughs> adding stock about 250 ml at a time. It's never going to work. Oh, my God, it's never going to work. And after 15 minutes, magically, it appears because the stock gets absorbed into the pasta, which leaches out the starch, which creates a sauce. It's magic. Nice. Yeah. Process and product. Okay. Next. Pet peeve. Oh. Um, obliviousness. Yeah, people who are just <laughs> not realizing there are other people in the universe, specifically in their immediate environment, <laughs> um, <laughs> who stand in the middle of, of a street and don't and block the way, um, who uh -huh. just are move around obliviously, and uh, and then then they'll say sorry. I've gotten to the in because of my age now, I can grow into the curmudgeon that I know I was meant to be. So you know. Someone will just be standing blocking the way and um, I'll say, excuse me. Oh, sorry. And I'll say, no, you're not because they're not sorry. Yeah. Um, so people who are oblivious that that. Oh, <laughs> uh, you're showing your age. Yeah. yeah. And I live in a city, too, which is there's just a higher density and percentage of people who are going to just be oblivious. <laughs> OK. Um, art. Oh, art. Um, John Singer Sargent, um, one of my favorite artists, prolific. He was Boston-based at times, although he spent time everywhere. Um, worked in multimedia, worked in uh, oils, worked in watercolors, both amazingly but differently and beautiful. Stupidly prolific. I mean, thousands of paintings, pretty much. Um, wow. And also knew everybody. Um, mm -hmm. So there's a painting he did, because he was friends with... Claude Monet, you know, of course. Um, of course, as there's you a, do. I, I went to a great uh, exhibition on American Impressionists um, in in Scotland, actually, at the at the, the new Scottish uh, the Scottish Modern Gallery, and they had a painting of Monet, Singer Sargent's painting of Monet sitting in a field with his daughter painting, uh, and next to it was the painting that Monet was painting. Wow! Oh, and he was just. His portraits are stunning. I, I I live right down the street from the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston, which has his murals are amazing. His murals in the Boston Public Library are epic. Yeah, he's he's amazing. Um, 
I, I, my, I, my nephew is now hooked. <laughs> um, I took him to see one of my favorite paintings of his called El Liejo, the dancer. And it's this beautiful giant painting of like a, a, a flamenco dancer in mid turn. Uh, it looks like it's Ill- illuminated from the back. The things he did with light and yeah. Mm. Look him up. John Singer Sargent. Stunning. Nice. Listening to the podcast for free is logical, but tell a friend about the podcast and send me a coffee to support the show. Your support is greatly appreciated. May you live long and prosper. Okay, next, culture. Culture. Um, complex. Yeah, I mean, we obviously we talk a lot about it as interpreters, um, but I don't think anybody really knows what it is. <laughs> it's one of those I know it when I see it, um, mm-hmm. and I can give you examples of it. But you know, in some ways, similar to language, we you can't put your finger on it. You know, it's there's mm-hmm. we see manifestations of it. We see, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's 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 almost kind of you know the allegory of the cave. You know, we see the shadows, but we don't actually see what's 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 making them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And often we don't even realize we, you know, the, especially those of us who grew up monolingually for the most part, mm-hmm. and you know, in a, in a pretty you know homogeneous culture, we don't realize that we have a culture. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and that things that we do are equally culturally based as the stuff that other people do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's the, that's the, the real shame of people who don't get exposed to other languages and other cultures is mm-hmm. they don't realize that, Oh, this is just one of the many ways of being. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's complex. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was a nice definition without giving a definition. Yes. I know it when I see it. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> okay, next. Hmm. Fun. Cooking. Cooking. Yeah. Yeah, mm, I that's yeah. that's um um I you know, there's lots of other things I I do for I I I love cooking. Um and it's it's one of those things I went Oh, I don't ever want to do this for work because it'll ruin it. <laughs> um, yeah, not that I necessarily yeah. could do it for work, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's um, yeah. Again, I, it gets back to process and product. You know, it's just I love the fact that you start with all this raw material mm-hmm. that doesn't look anything like what ends up on the plate. Yeah, you know, and there's that magic alchemical metamorphosis. Then poof. Yeah, you know, then it looks all pretty. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then somebody else can do the cleaning up. That's <laughs> yes, I agree. Very I key. Agree. Very... <laughs> I volunteer to cook so other people do the cleaning up. <laughs> okay. Um, last one. Interpreting. Hmm. I don't know if I have a word for it. Um, what came into your mind? A whole bunch of stuff like complex came up again. Um, I, I think the other thing I'm sort of floating around was I had this like image of just a bunch of people. Um, mm-hmm. So I think interaction yeah. and I think even, even kind of one way interpreting is still interaction. Mm-hmm. And um, even, you know, colleagues that work in booths for the most part as interpreters, it's, it's, it's still interaction, mm-hmm. but it's a special flavor <laughs> yes. of interaction. Um, and that we try to normalize and we try to make it as if, you know, quote unquote, we're not there, which was, which is silly, 
my friend and colleague Stephanie Joe Kent talks about, um, you know, it, the fact that interpreting makes time visible and it also makes culture visible. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think it makes interaction really visible. It makes yeah. people go, oh, this is what usually happens really quickly and we don't think about. And now mm-hmm. it's slowed down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, then we recognize that there are pauses and we recognize that there are missteps and we recognize that there are clarifications. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it, it, and again, it goes back to Cecilia Vodenshire, you know, interpreting is interaction. That's That's what it is when it works. <laughs> <laughs> Because you have experience with interpreters in the UK and the US and other countries, I'm sure, mm-hmm. um, what advice would you tell other interpreters to add to their worldview of our profession? And again, I think because of just the nature of America and this in the US, that we we tend to think of, you know, things in well binary mm-hmm. fashion. Um that interpreting often involves more than two languages. Yeah. Yeah. Whether those are dialects, whether those are various and sundry other types of, of, of languaging. And and I think we tend to be very, you know, it's ASL English. Mm -hmm. Like, well, there's, there's other languages or there's different forms of English or there's different forms of ASL. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, that's obviously, you know, as you know, in Europe, that's, you know, that people are often working in their third or fourth or fifth language mm-hmm. for sustained periods of time. Um, and to be really cognizant of, of variety, even if you're, if you're technically only working with two languages, um, that, you know, there's no big L language. <laughs> there's lots of little L languages. <laughs> um, and, and we have to be, if not, competent in all of them aware of them enough mm-hmm. to know when we're competent or not mm-hmm. yeah. i've done um not a lot of interpreting with children but i'm i'm capable of doing it but there's plenty of other people who have much more experience mm-hmm. um and both in terms of of hearing kids and deaf kids you know it's mm-hmm. not just i don't understand you know younger asl or there's it's you know it's much more complicated than that and and recognizing that yeah that um Language is much more complex than one side and the other. Yeah. And go to another country and go to a country where most people don't speak your language and then try to get yourself fed and watered and and (laughs) a bed for the night and see how that goes (laughs) and report back. Yes. (laughs) Put it in your portfolio. If you make it. Yes. (laughs) So what warnings would you give new interpreter researchers? Um, don't try to reinvent the wheel. One of the things, and this happens less in linguistics, because I also had a a detour where I did linguistics for quite a while. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a big fan, and we did this in our book, and um, of of looking back at other data that people have analyzed and reanalyzing it or looking at it with a different lens. Linguists do this all the time. They have examples and people can kind of look at them in, in different ways. And because, especially with spoken languages, they're usually published in, in written form, et cetera. Now that we have much more access to video mm-hmm. much more easily than we did um, in the past, mm-hmm. um, and also potential to annotate and, and transcribe and all that kind of fun stuff. Um, 
I think it's really important that we look back on some old stuff and, and you know, we look at it. So one of the things that, you know, we got permission from uh, Dr. Cynthia Roy to look at her PhD data, um, which was an interaction between a deaf grad student and a hearing professor. Um, and we kind of reanalyzed it using role space. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, um, and other people have done that. And I think, um, yeah, there's lots of new stuff to be gathered. Yes. Um, but look back at what people have done already and, and, you know, and, and not to, and not to criticize and not to, to gainsay, but to say, Hmm, maybe there's something that hasn't been looked at now that we know these things, or now that we are thinking with, you know, with this pair of glasses on or these lenses, mm-hmm. um, let's, let's take a, a look at that before you're going to go out and, you know, gather a whole bunch of new data. Um, there's, there's a lot of stuff that, that, you know, we're a very new field in terms of interpreting studies. Um, and uh, especially if, with video-based data, be just be, again because of technology. Um, yeah, take take a look at other stuff before you, you try to go and reinvent the wheel, because uh, there's still there's there's still unanswered questions that the data that people have gathered and looked at before can can probably shed light on. It's nice. Hmm. What else needs to be said to interpreters in general? Oh yeah, I think um, I think we're getting better at this. Um, but I, I think we need those of us who work, um, whose work includes assigned language need to be working a lot with our colleagues who worked primarily with spoken languages. I think we are doing that better. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I think we need to have more collaboration, more discussions about the similarities and differences in our work. Um, and I, I don't think it's been a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's always the, oh, you're the sign language person. It's like, no, I actually work with a spoken language or two <laughs> as well. <laughs> exactly. um, and people were willing to, I mean, I, you know, some of the more interesting conversations I've had, um, not that our, our fellow sign language interpreters are not interesting people, um, have been with spoken language interpreters about some of the challenges that they face. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've certainly learned from us. And I think, you know, because of, especially in the U.S. where kind of laws mandating interpreting have happened you know, for, for sign languages that, you know, we've been able to make gains in some ways, but mm-hmm. even before COVID, um, spoken language interpreters realizing, oh, it's really important to see the speaker <laughs> and see what they're doing. And it's like, yeah, that kind of is important. Um, and it's not just that, you know, to see the gestures you're using, but yeah. And it's not just to maybe mm-hmm. lip read what they're doing, but yeah, that, that, that's part and parcel for all of this. Yeah. Um, so I think, um, and again, I've been fortunate enough. I have a, I have a lot of colleagues and friends who are who primarily work between two spoken languages, and um, mm-hmm. more of that needs. Uh, you know, we need to reach out more to do that um, yeah. from both sides. Yeah, because um, we're, we're again we're doing the same thing cognitively at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on a, on a, on, a, on a macro level, um, but but I think the more that we're able to um, align ourselves with those colleagues, the more we can actually say, "Gee." How did you get uh-huh. <laughs> access done well? Or how do you get, how do you convince people that this is what quality interpreting is? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think there's a lot of kind of cross-pollination that can happen um, and should happen, even if we're not interpreting with those colleagues, um, having those conversations outside of interpreted interactions um, through professional meetings, you know, doing a lot more collaboration that way. And we're, we're, we're not that special in that way. Um, and you know, we're, we're all in the, in the, you know, the language playing game. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's, you know, sit on the sidelines and talk about it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's always good to interact with other colleagues. Oh yeah. Well, Robert, it was wonderful talking to you. No, well, thank you very much, Tim. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. It was great fun. 
And hopefully we can do this again sometime. I'd love it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye. What a wonderful ending to a wonderful interview with my guest, Robert G. Lee. We learned about role space, its origins, a little introduction to what it really means for us, thinking about our role as interpreter, as a space and how it evolves throughout the work that we do and how it interacts with the roles of the participants, their cultural space, and interestingly enough, the new idea from Robert, the language space. As the languages interact individually and collectively between everyone in the room, it creates a new space, which creates the whole discourse. And he's right, culture is complex. It's hard to put one definition to culture, or even to language, or even interpreting. But it's this whole interactive process that gives us the product of our interpretation. It's hard to describe, it's hard to put into words, but when we see the process and we see the product, we know it then, we feel it. And like Robert, I enjoy that process, that process of making something out of all of these different parts and it comes together into something completely different, but wonderful. And his connection to cooking allows me to look at our profession and something in our daily lives to give us that balance of work and life. Just a thought. And the last thing we should leave ourselves with is interacting with colleagues, specifically talking and interacting with spoken language interpreters those only working in the same modality of spoken languages, we can learn from them and they can learn from us and we can improve the profession together. And then we can boldly go into our spaces. Be calm. Keep interpreting. I'll see you next week. Take care now. Take care now.